Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead, and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And what you're about to listen to was a sermon that was preached at our Wednesday night gathering from 6.30 to 8.30 with our students. So I hope that this sermon is encouraging and a blessing to you today. Thanks for listening. If you need a Bible, there are some over to my left. We've been going through this series of the book of Daniel with some famous stories, Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel chapter 3. Um, some great things, and we are now in more of the second half of the book, in Daniel chapter 9, and we've been going through what is called apocalyptic prophecy, which is prophecy that uses big, a lot of symbols and symbolic language, um, to describe events that are going to happen in the future. And uh, last week we looked at Daniel chapter 8 about Antiochus Epaphanes, um, the guy who roasted a pig on the altar in the temple and uh, can, was the first Hitler pretty much of BC, uh, 175 BC, and he totally persecuted the Jews. Well, Daniel chapter 9 takes a little break. Um, and so let me pray just from my own heart, preach this, and hopefully that you could receive it. Uh, Father God, thank you. Lord, I just, I'm a little distracted tonight, I confess that. Lord, my heart's desire is to see students love you and worship you. And it grieves me when I know that there are some that don't love you, that are living for themselves, and I pray that you would help me encourage these, every student here, and that I would speak with grace and with truth, and that I would embody um, the tone and the spirit of Jesus Christ, and that these students would at least leave knowing the truth of the gospel, and that their lives may be changed. Um, thank you for Daniel chapter 9, and I pray that you would convict my own heart as I preach this. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever been inspired by someone to achieve a goal? You think about maybe something that was inspirational for you. Um, I, I think of a lot of things like when I saw the Michael Jordan series, the latest one that came out, all I wanted to do was play basketball after that. It totally motivated me. I'm like, I just want to, I want to just be like Mike, you know? Um, it, it's, it's a great series. Um, we live in a culture that feeds off of inspirational quotes, Right? There's actually a whole market for it, and they all go on coffee mugs and T-shirts and bumper stickers, right? Our culture feeds off inspirational movies. doesn't matter what kind of movie, as long as it's inspirational, or inspirational YouTube videos that you use to get yourself pumped up to work out, or I don't know, ace a test. <laughs> I don't know what you, what you do, but we feed off of encouragement. But is that always a good thing? And I would say... Well, it depends on the end goal that you are being inspired towards, right? Not all things are uh, good ends to be inspired to. Like if you are inspired to commit a crime or to riot at the Capitol or riot, you know, those, that's bad inspiration. We don't want to be inspired to do that, right? So there's bad ends to be in, uh, motivated by, to be motivated to do. And so what I want to do tonight is to motivate you to pursue the things that God loves, and specifically prayer. Prayer. 
I want to inspire you to pray. And that's the title of my sermon, which is called Inspired to Pray. I want to inspire you the same way that Daniel was inspired in Daniel chapter 9 and Daniel chapter 6. Why? Why is this important for you? A quote by John Owen. What an individual is in secret on his knees before God, that he is and no more. Did you hear that? What an individual is in secret on his knees before God, that he or she is and no more. Prayer is important. And this week I want to focus on specifically what motivates Daniel to pray without looking at the content of his prayer, which we will do in two weeks. And next week, in application to the sermon, we're going to go to prayer night, okay? So that's the, that's the application of the sermon. Come to all church prayer night. And so let's read the text, Daniel chapter 9, and let's analyze what it is that inspires Daniel to pray. Daniel chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, the son of Azurus, by descent a Mede, so this is the Medo-Persian empire that just took over Babylon, and so they have a new ruler, Darius, and he was made king over the realm of Babylon, the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books... The number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to, the Jerem- to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. And so he's reading the book of Jeremiah to discern, and he finds out when it is the exile is going to end. Verse 3, in response, I turned my face to the Lord God seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I'll let you read the rest on your own, but we are going to enter into one of the most amazing prayers in all of scripture. But before that, what is it that inspires Daniel to pray? Well, if you remember the context of Daniel 9 is during uh, the time of Daniel chapter 6. Remember when he's thrown into the lion's den and what happened there? He was second in command and he had all these other people below him who hated him and they wanted to destroy him and kill him. And so they were looking for ways to find blame and to get him punished, but they couldn't find anything. And so they create a law and they manipulate the king, King Darius, to make a law Um, knowing that Daniel was a man of prayer, so they manipulate King Darius to make a law banning all prayer or requests to anyone other than King Darius himself. That law passed, and Daniel is then found praying as usual three times a day, and he is arrested right then and there, and he's taken and he's thrown into the lion's den, and we know the rest of the story. I remind you of this in the context To make the point and to remind you of the point that I made when I preached on Daniel 6 is that what was amazing about Daniel going to pray, even though he knew he would get in trouble, is that the punishment did not hinder his pattern of prayer. What characterized Daniel from the second he was pulled into the exile as a teenager all the way till when he was about 80 years old, which is where we're at in Daniel 9, what characterized him, what got him through, the pain, the suffering, the trial, 
was God, who was sovereign, but also his prayer life, his pattern of prayer of three times a day. This was something that he did. And so we got to ask the question, how? How is it? And one of the things that we learn is that the chief motivation to pray for Daniel was never his circumstances, okay? The chief motivation for Daniel was never his circumstances. I'm sure it played a part, knowing that he's in the exile, that he's now going to pray. But our motivation to pray, what inspires us to pray, must go deeper than our circumstances. Follow me here. You all know this to be true. Think about it. Why is it that when you find yourself praying in private or convicted to pray, only when things are going wrong and not on the good days? Why is it then and there that you're reminded to pray or that I need to pray? And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. But it's only there, right? Therefore, if our prayer lives are based on our circumstances and thus only on the bad days, we're only going to pray then. What about all the other days that we go through? And as soon as our circumstances get better, then our prayer lives drop off. You see the problem here. So I think all you know what I'm talking about. Even those that don't believe in Christianity or even God at all, there's something inside of us, in our nature, that inherently has a desire to cry out when things go wrong. It's true of all people. We have a natural inherent dependence on something or someone outside of ourselves. And this usually happens privately. We all cry out when our circumstances go wrong, even those that don't even believe in God, the religious and the non-religious. I mean, think about the idea of prayer. Prayer is actually pretty popular in pop culture. A lot of songs are named after pray. I think Justin Bieber's got a song called Pray. Maybe some people know that. I'm saying prayer is not something that's totally unnatural to people. It really is natural, and it's because we're made in God's image. For example, there's a song that has over 684 million streams on Spotify. Let's see if you could guess what song it is. And it has to do with prayer. She says, we've got to hold on to what we've got. It doesn't make a difference if we make it or not. We've got each other, and that's a lot for love. We'll give it a shot. Whoa, we're halfway there. Whoa, we're living on a prayer, right? 684 million views. And I guess the point that I'm trying to make is that prayer is a natural inclination for all people when circumstances go wrong. And that was probably true of Daniel, but it goes deeper. Or even more recently, here's another example of why prayer is something that's accepted worldwide and that we do. Recently, Emmanuel Cleaver, a United Methodist minister, led Congress in prayer. Some of you saw some memes about this. And he concluded the prayer saying this, We ask it in the name of the monotheistic God, Brahma, which actually is the creator God in Hinduism, He's praying to a demonic God. And God known by many names, by many different faiths, amen, and all women. <laughs> he said that because they have to be gender specific, right? And amen just means let it be, let it be so. That's what it means. It's Latin, um, poor guy. Now, I don't, wanna, I don't have time to deconstruct his prayer and to kind of show you all the things that are wrong with it. 
But it goes to show that prayer is something that is natural to us, to your friends, to even those that don't believe in God. And typically, our natural inclination to pray as people made in God's image are in circumstances in our lives that will show us our need and our dependence upon a creator or upon something else. It's in circumstances that show us our mortality, that we're weak, we're feeble. There's nothing, there's nothing we can control in this situation. And so people naturally cry out. But Christians, for Christians specifically, our circumstances are subject to change and thus our feelings of dependence are subject to change. And because of that, usually for a lot of you, you begin to stop praying. It's only based on your circumstances. And so my whole point is that we must be inspired and encouraged and motivated to pray according to truths that go deeper than just our circumstances. Truths that were bedrock foundations for Daniel. So what are these proper motivations? What are these motivations that do not change but stay the same even when our feelings change? Motivations that remind us of our dependence and keep us on our knees regularly. And in the text, we're going to see three things. That was my whole entire intro. (laughs) Three things, three inspirations that encourage Daniel and thus will encourage you in your prayer life or instruct you. The first thing is the promises of God. The promises of God is the first thing that inspires Daniel to pray. It's a year of transition. A new king, a new uh, empire has just taken over Babylon. And Daniel is reminded of a prophecy in the book of Jeremiah, and he's studying it. What does it say in verse 2? It says, I, Daniel, perceived in the books. He was studying the books, the number of the years that according to the word of, the God, of God to Jeremiah the prophet, the, uh, the years that must pass before the end of the exile, namely 70 years. And so he's studying the word of God intensely. And thus, we have to ask the question, what is it that he read that inspired him to hit his knees in prayer? And that's got to be Jeremiah 25, 10 through 11. Jeremiah 25, 10 through 11 states this, This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. So this is hundreds of years before Daniel was alive. God is writing, uh, speaking through Jeremiah of this prophecy. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. And most certainly, uh, Daniel clung to this promise in Jeremiah 29, 10 through 11, and I'm sure you've heard it. It says this, For thus says the Lord, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, my people, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place in Israel. He's going to bring them home. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. That verse is on every coffee mug, bumper sticker. It's on everything, but we forget the context, and now you just got the context. It's, It's a prophecy about God's people who are in suffering, who are in the exile. And God is saying, after 70 years, 
I will bring you home. (laughs) I will visit you. I will fulfill my promise. And so Daniel is, is studying the word of God, and he sees that. And he clings to that promise. And what is it that he does? He, look at verse 3. Then I turn my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy. Students, it's quite simple. God's promises are what drive us to our knees in prayer. They have to be. I love what this commentator says. He says, it's as if God's promises have Velcro on them and our promises and our prayers are meant to get stuck there. <laughs> we are to pray the promises. The practical application then for you and I is that this promise to prayer pattern means we must let the Bible be our prayer book. Our prayer lives are to flow out of our study of scripture that God has communicated to us first in his word. And then we continue that conversation with him in prayer. You see that? This is the lesson we constantly need to learn because most of us in here have the experience of setting aside time to pray, but we've found that we don't know what to pray for. Or we pray the same thing over and over and over again. The same thing, right? I've done it. Or maybe you're in a trial and suffering, you're going through a hard time, you don't even know what to pray. Or maybe you know that you're, you're sinful, you want to come to God, but the guilt is keep, keeps you from, from speaking out to him, from praying. Where do you go in those times of where you're speechless before God? Well, we can learn from Daniel to search the scriptures so that we may pray things that, are, that God has clearly promised. For example... God has promised to complete the work of salvation that he has started in you, Philippians 1.6. What do I do when I come to that promise? This is what it means. Thus, when I'm in trials, I can pray that God will use these trials to continue his work in my heart and my life to further humble me, showing my need for him. See how God's promise then turns to prayer. Or what about God's promise in John 14, 27, to give us peace that transcends the peace of this world. What do I do with that promise? I read it, and then I hit my knees in prayer. Especially when I'm confused or fearful or have anxiety, I can now pray and ask God to give me peace that only he can bestow. See, God's promises drive his people to prayer, and you could pray confidently. Why? Because if God has promised it, he wants to do it right? So you could get on your knees, you could pray, you could say, God, you have promised to give me peace that transcends the world. I need it right now, right? And God's like, no, I'm not going to do it. It's his promise. He's going to do it. <laughs> that's, that, that's, how, that's what <laughs> informs, inspires, motivates our prayer life. God's promises, his grace, his his promises that are not conditioned upon what we do, but are just things that God does for us. God's promises drive his people to prayer. And one last thing on this, and I think this is more of just an application for my own heart, and I think it will apply to you because most of you are recovering legalists and Pharisees. The Bible contains two words in its pages, Law and gospel. There's two types of verses. There's commands, and then there's promises. Law and gospel. 
Certainly, God's commands can show and inspire us in our prayer. When God says, pray without ceasing, okay, I'm like, okay, I know he's commanded me to do that. But when God's law and his commands primarily show us what is pleasing to God, but on the flip side, they show us that we (laughs) don't do what is pleasing to God, right? They show us our need. Which is why when I started talking about prayer, you automatically felt convicted because you're like, I have not been praying. I can't remember the last time I did. Maybe you desire to have a prayer life, and prayer is is a convicting thing. Why do I know that you probably are facing this? Because when I sat down to study this, the same thought entered into my mind. And I was riddled with guilt and shame. I'm a pastor. (laughs) How can I not be spending my time in prayer, right? Let alone I'm a Christian. I love Jesus, and I want to commune with him. Law and promise. You either got convicted when I mentioned prayer or you got prideful because you know that you have been praying and you're doing better than everyone else, right? That's law-ish thinking. It's performance-based morality. And it's what crushes our prayer lives. For me this week, I confessed to my wife. When I sat down and I started working on my ser- sermon, I asked Caitlin, I felt so unworthy. I didn't, I didn't want to preach this. I, I couldn't even get myself into prayer. I'm like, I haven't prayed, but I'm not going to pray. Why? Right? You feel guilty. You feel unclean. Until the promises and gospel promises of God began to permeate in my heart, and I began to realize the grace and love of Jesus Christ to forgive me and wash me, and there's nothing I can do to earn my salvation... Because my tendency is to say, okay, I haven't been praying. I got to get myself a little bit better and then I'll be right with God. That is, it's works based, it's performance based. The law is holy, it is good, and in Christ we are free to obey it. It's a mirror that shows us our sin, but then it must drive us to the promise of the gospel to remind us and hopefully. Yeah, to remind all of us that our prayer lives do not earn our standing with God, but it is because our standing with God in Christ, we get to pray. That's the inspiration. That's the motivation I need. And now I pray out of thanksgiving, and I want more of him, and I'm in need, and it's a glorious need that is only met in Christ. Don't let guilt and shame in this sermon, I'm not trying to guilt and shame you into praying, I'm trying to inspire you and encourage you that if you are a Christian, you've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. You are free to pray. Amen? Amen. We need God's promises. This is why we need God's word to drive us into our prayer life. The second truth, the second truth here, poor junior hires, Dan's going to have 10 minutes to preach tonight. Um, The second truth here is, is the second truth that inspires us is the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. This whole book has been about God being in control of all of history. And yet Daniel is one to hit his knees in prayer. And you might be asking because you're smart. If God is sovereign and in control, and when he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it, why even pray? Have you thought about that? 
What's the point? Why do we need to do that? It's a good question. But let me think the best about you. You're probably saying, okay, prayer's a good thing. I know I should pray. So that question is really aimed at God. If God is sovereign, why do I need to pray? If he's in control of all things, if he has authority and power to accomplish his will as the supreme ruler of all things, how does that inspire prayer? That, that almost, what's the opposite of inspire? Despires? I don't know, <laughs> right? That keeps me from prayer. Why do I need to pray? You guys get my reasoning here. And I think this passage clarifies it because Daniel obviously knows the sovereignty of God. And if you were to ask Daniel that question, why do you pray if you know God is sovereign? You know what Daniel would say? He would respond, it is precisely because God is sovereign that I pray. (laughs) His sovereignty gets me to my knees. Why? Why? Because God has laid out his promises, and God will not fail in his promises. And if he has promised something, either he's lying because he doesn't have the control to to fulfill his promise, or he is sovereign and in control. As soon as Daniel reads the promise of God's plan to judge the Babylonians and restore his people, and he's already starting to see that promise play out because the Babylonians have been destroyed and now Medo-Persia is in place. King Darius is there. It only intensified his prayer life. And so we see in the text this balance of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility to pray. And this, I hope, clarifies it. this comment here says that Daniel saw that since God had given this promise about the duration of the captivity, it was then his responsibility to ask the Lord to fulfill his promise. He recognized that God employs means to achieve his ends. The preaching of the gospel is the means by which Christ's sovereignty over the nations is fulfilled, and prayer for the restoration of Jerusalem with all that would contain in that was the means by which the Lord would answer Jeremiah's prophecy and that it would be fulfilled. Does that make sense? So not only is God in control of everything that's going to happen in the future, not only is he sovereign over all things, but he's also sovereign in the ways in which he brings about those things. And he uses our prayers. He uses our prayers This brings points number one and two together and makes them practical because they're inseparable and equally inspiring and instructive to us. God's promises mean nothing or have no guarantee of being answered if God is not sovereign. And Daniel doesn't pray in such a way that he's like, oh, if I don't pray, then God's promises are going to fail. Therefore, I need to pray. No, it is because God is sovereign. It's because God has promised those things that it drives him to pray. If God is not sovereign, he is not God. But he is. And the truth of God's sovereignty then inspires us to pray God's promises with even more confidence. Why? Because when I know that I'm praying for what, because I know that I'm praying for what God promised, and I know that he will reward that. His promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. The last truth we see in the text, 
So God's sovereignty inspires us to pray. God's promises inspire us to pray. And the last truth we see in the text is that the temple of God inspires us to pray. The temple of God. And you're like, what? We don't have a temple. The temple was destroyed in AD 70. You're very smart and you're right about that. Bear with me here. Look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I turned my face to the Lord God. I love that picture. But what does Daniel mean? Well, in Daniel chapter 6, we learn that when Daniel would pray, he would face the temple. Now, what does the temple represent? And you got to follow me here with this. Why does he face the temple? Because the temple signified God's presence with his people, God dwelling with man. And the only way in which God's people in the Old Testament had access to God, could have a relationship with with God, was through a priest who would enter into the Holy of Holies and offer a sacrifice. And by that blood being shed on behalf of people, now we could have access to God. And so Daniel is facing the temple, which really pointed to the truer and better temple in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the temple of God. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Emmanuel, God with us. The temple signified atonement for sins. This is how gracious God is. God, when he brought his people out of Egypt on Mount Sinai, he gave them his law, the Ten Commandments, right? But no one can obey the Ten Commandments perfectly. And God, knowing this, in his grace, he set up what is the tabernacle and the sacrificial system so that when they broke God's law, they had access to forgiveness through the blood of a substitute. Daniel, knowing this, is praying towards the temple, which for sure would have reminded him of the mercy of God to provide a way for sins to be covered, to have access to God. And so when we pray, we are entering into the presence of the throne room of grace, but not by means of an earthly temple. There's nowhere we go. There's no place that we don't face a certain direction. There's no priest, an earthly priest that we go to to make a request to God, but we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our great high priest who entered into the holy of holies for us, not only as our priest to represent us before God, but as our sacrifice who shed his blood for sinners so that we can have a right relationship with God The gospel of Jesus Christ, the temple of God, Jesus, is the chief motivation for our prayers. The sovereign King Jesus, his promises and his sacrifice. Hebrews 10, 19 sums it up this way. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, That is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 
Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Student, if, you, if your prayer life has dropped off, run to Jesus. Be inspired by his promises. Be inspired by his sovereignty that he is in control. And therefore, let that drive you to, to rely on him, the one who is in control. And then remember the gospel. Remember Jesus Christ who shed his blood for you. And remember on that day when he hung there and he said, it is finished. What happened to the temple curtain? It tore in two, signifying that we could have access to God in his presence. What an individual is in secret on his knees before God, that he is and no more. Well, may we be known, Redeemer students, for being those who long to commune with God in prayer, who long to have a relationship with him, who want to know him more and experience his presence more. And like Daniel, let us turn our face to the Lord let us turn our hearts to the Lord, seeking him with pleas for mercy. Our God is a good God. I pray that you are inspired to pray by his word.